Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Welcome to where the new generation plays. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, Raw Edition. Our occasional chronological critique of World Wrestling Federation's flagship show where episodes are infrequently viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we offer a glimpse along the northern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing today, Dave? I am excited to switch it up and do some WWF. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm wearing a... Uh a Repo Man. Oh, look at that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I got from the Pro Wrestling Tees, which I, a couple weeks ago when I was in Chicago, I actually went there. Yeah. Um, considering how much people talk about the store, it's not a really big store. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm proud of you for repping a Minnesota wrestler, Barry Darso, the Repo Man. I, I really liked him when I was a kid, too. Really? Um, I, think, I didn't know until, like, I mean, it was it was... It wasn't that late, but surprisingly late when I realized or found out that that was the guy from Demolition. Yeah. No, because I know back in the day when we did the um, bookends podcast and we yes. talked about my wrestling background right. and how I just kind of favored villains mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And and what's more villainous than someone that actually has like a burglar's mask? <laughs> right. So I was always a fan of his. I always remember the fact that um, at... Um, WrestleMania 17, when they did the gimmick Battle Royal, he yes. was eliminated first. <laughs> <laughs> well, today is day three of our big four-day celebration of Nitro's first year. We're taking a look at the wrestling world at as uh, Nitro closes in on one year of being on the air. We've done Nitro, we've done ECW Hardcore TV, and now we're doing Raw Championship Friday. And of course, remember that we will be back tomorrow for sort of a retrospective episode looking at the first year of Nitro uh, and what we liked and didn't like thereof. Now, before we dive into tonight's show, I want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is Friday, September 6th, 1996, and Raw is broadcasting a show that was taped on August 19th at the Civic Center in Wheeling, West Virginia, in front of 4,903 fans. In pre-show dark matches, Big Titan, real name Rick Bogner, remember Mm. him, uh, he beat Frank Stiletto and Flex Cavana defeated David Haskins. You might want to keep a... Eye on David Haskins. (laughs) (laughs) He's got big things covered. (laughs) <laughs> this is the 174th episode of Raw, and it aired on a Friday due to Raw's normal time slot being occupied by the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament, which saw Pete Sampras and Steffi Graf both successfully repeat as champions. Ooh, that must be like Pete Sampras in his prime, too. That must have been just prime tennis. Pete Sampras, I mean, I don't know. If maybe that's just because that's who was big when I was a kid, but yeah, like, like those he- are actually, I've heard of them. I don't, I don't know many. <laughs> True. I know Venus and Serena Williams. I don't know uh, Federer. He's still good, yeah. right? Okay, so I guess I do know some tennis players now, mm-hmm. but it just seemed like such a bigger deal. Like Andre Agassi was a major celebrity when we were kids. and Yeah. I, I know who Roger Federer is, but he is not everywhere in my life like Andre Agassi was, you know? I remember Andre Agassi when he had hair. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you think of a great champion, then this man naturally comes to mind. Strong, beloved, courageous, 
unquestionably one of a kind. When you think of the quintessential champion, then this man is indeed the antithesis. Vulgar, vicious, despised, a lunatic on the fringe of magnificence. Like Shawn Michaels, he too exudes confidence. Like the champion, he too is a tremendous ring tactician. But his cherished battleground is his opponent's fragile psyche, a war zone where insecurity leads the mutiny and ego is shattered like a bone. Call him weird, repulsive, psychotic. After tonight, we may all have to call him champion. Kevin Kelly along with Jim Ross, and we can be crowning a new World Wrestling Federation champion here tonight. Plus, we've also got great action coming your way. Straight up, first round intercontinental title match. Hunter Hurst Helmsley is in the ring, and here comes his opponent. It's Psycho Sin. Can you believe this ovation for Psycho Sin? This episode of Raw was branded Raw Championship Friday and was billed as a special event where WWF champion Shawn Michaels, only a couple weeks removed from defending his championship against Vader at SummerSlam, was set to defend his title against the Intercontinental Champion Ahmed Johnson, who won the opportunity by winning an 11-man battle royal on a previous edition of Raw. However, between the time that match was taped and when it aired, Johnson was diagnosed with a kidney problem that would require time off. The WWF would announce that these kidney problems were caused by an attack on Johnson by the debuting Farouk. I believe at first they called him Farouk Assad. Yeah. He had a last name for a while there. Uh, which had taken place before the Battle Royal. So new voiceovers were inserted into the Battle Royal, indicating that Johnson was competing against Doctor's orders. Johnson relinquished his title shot and was stripped of the Intercontinental title uh, during a segment on Raw the week after. On the August 19th Raw, the last Raw to air before this edition... Goldust won a four-man battle royal to take Johnson's place in the match against the Heartbreak Kid, defeating Savio Vega, Sid, and Steve Austin. The Intercontinental Championship was made the prize of a tournament, which began on Raw when Owen Hart defeated the British Bulldog in a quarterfinal match. Two of the other quarterfinal matches will take place tonight, with the last match of the first round happening on the September 9th Raw. We open with a highlight package symbolically filleting Shawn Michaels as strong, beloved, courageous, and one of a kind. <laughs> His opponent for tonight, Goldust, is described as the antithesis of a quintessential champion. Vulgar, vicious, despised, and a lunatic on the fringe of magnificence. <laughs> They're really having fun with a thesaurus on this one. Yep. They play up Goldust's mind games, which is the uh, WWF talk at the time for just being gay. Right. Like, the, the whole deal with Goldust is we're not really being homophobic because he's not really gay. He's just playing mind games. It's the weak, like, just, it's not even enough that they have this, like, really homophobic character. They can't even, like, commit to it. They have to have this, like, weird excuse mm. that no one's going to ever buy. It's very stupid. Well, I mean, they're also going into the next pay-per-view, which is named Mind Games, too. Oh, that's a good point. But, no, I, I'm not... <laughs> 
But I agree. It's def- that's really how they've played it off for the longest time. Yeah. Especially since, I mean, I don't remember if it was ever substantiated, but um, this idea that Bret Hart, in part of his contract negotiations, wanted Goldust's character to be toned down. I remember hearing that. Yeah, I, I f- that feels more like an urban legend, and I I really didn't look into it. So I mean, if anyone has like definitive information, feel free to tweet it at us. But um, yeah, hey Bret Hart, tweet at us. Right? Was that in your contract or what? <laughs> or or Goldust? <laughs> yeah, Goldust. Oh, I feel like he's less likely. He's he's kind of standoffish on Twitter. <laughs> like like his uh, brother a little bit. Uh, well, Cody. Well, I know you've gotten into it with Cody. That's <laughs> right. true. Uh, but Goldust, well, mainly what I'm thinking of is I know uh, that if anyone tweets at him about Black Rain, his TNA character, oh, he will just sure. instantly block them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, the video package ends with uh, some highlights of Goldust's biggest gay panic moments, uh, such as kissing an unconscious Ahmed Johnson and writhing all over Roddy Piper. I thought this was a really good video. I agree. Uh, and, and just... Since we are doing WCW week in and week out, and they have like their videos are okay, mm-hmm. um, they're not the highest quality. Sometimes they don't have like up to date clips and things like that. In comparison, you could see that there's like a, a much more experienced quality to the videos here, and and for the fact that this this is just kind of a, a last minute match they put together, I felt like they at least in the description made it compelling to me. Right. Um. I mean. I don't, rec- I mean, I don't recall at the time if he if Goldust was really considered like a contender or anything. I like wasn't that. really watching at this point in history. This was this was still before I came back in the summer of '99. So a lot of this is like the first time I'm seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly aware of characters like Ahmed Johnson, but like I've never really sat down and checked out most of his uh, ovoir, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think any um, regular fan can say like, I don't think Shawn Michaels is going to lose his belt to Oh, absolutely. Uh, before the match even happens, they're heavily promoting his championship match against Mankind right. at the pay-per-view. So that's that's mm-hmm. a not-so-subtle hint. They don't even bother with the, if Shawn retains his championship, they're just like, this match is coming up on Sunday. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll probably get into it during the match itself, but um, they don't make any sort of like the implications of if Goldust wins. Right. Like that's not even brought up. Uh, It's also weird to me. And I know this is, I mean, this isn't new. He spent plenty of his, his championship reign as a baby face, but this era, Shawn Michaels as a baby face just seems so strange Mm -hmm. because so many of his uh, mannerisms, his, getting pissy at the ring like he did at SummerSlam in that match with Vader yeah. um, and making it very, very odd. I just, maybe he's such a real life heel at this era of his life. Mm-hmm. And I think he would be the first to say that, uh, that it's hard to read his character as a baby face. Cause you're just like, I know you're a dick. Stop trying to be like, I love kids. Like you don't love kids. Right. <laughs> no. And, and this is the one, I mean, I can't even think of like an earlier example of this, of, uh, of a face like a, a a good guy champion that clearly has a division in the crowd. And oh I, sure. And I feel like it's just it's like gender. I feel like women still like him, and the men are the ones that are turning against him. Yeah. And and Sean is not doing himself any favors to appeal himself <laughs> to like the heterosexual yeah. male crowd, <laughs> especially the heterosexual male wrestling fan crowd of 1996. Right. Which is a specific type of dude for sure. <laughs> right. 
The normal raw intro plays, but they're actually gone ahead and given this episode a very special title card, a raw championship Friday graphic on the screen. I was I was impressed. They're mm-hmm. trying to gussy it up a little bit. I mean, it was just a pre-taped raw. They don't really go that far with it, but they're they're trying a little bit to make this feel like a special event. Yeah. And I I just wanted to say from the beginning, I like the fact that Raw Championship Friday has one title match. <laughs> well, there is no Intercontinental Champion. So there there's three, no, two matches that are, you know, on the road to a championship. Mm-hmm. So that helps. I don't even know who the tag team champions were at this point. Do you? I, w- I was going to ask to see if you knew. I don't. It is the Smoking Guns. Ah, uh, that's probably, I, you know what, I think that is in my notes later. So I guess we'll. Ooh, there's an Easter egg. Do I mention the tag team champions <laughs> later? Stay tuned. And and they, I, because I remember that because at uh, at Mind Games they're going to end up losing and starting one of my favorite tag team championship reigns, which is Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart. Oh yeah, that's very very well done. Yeah, agreed. As we transition to the Civic Center, as we transition to the Civic Center, Triple H is already in the ring, being assisted by a young female valet, a staple of his character at this time. WWF announcer Kevin Kelly welcomes us to the show as some violin stings play a little ripoff of the famous music from the shower scene of Psycho, heralding the arrival of one Psycho Sid. Sid is making his first appearance on the podcast, but I'm not going to give a full bio on him as I will save that later for his Nitro debut, mm-hmm. uh, just in case there's anybody who like doesn't listen to these bonus episodes or it's like, no, I'm only Nitro. Right. So we'll, we'll save... Uh, We'll save our Sid conversation for later. But suffice it to say, at this point in his career, Sid has had two stints in the WWF and two stints in WCW. He's had a WrestleMania main event against Hulk Hogan. He's headlined pay-per-views against Sting for the WCW title, though he has not won it to this Mm -hmm. point. He's been a member of the Four Horsemen. He's feuded with The Undertaker and has generally been a big fucking deal, though maybe not as big a deal as you'd think seeing all that on paper. Uh, partially due to injuries and partially due to leaving and going and playing softball. And I think yep. because he switches so much, he never like got really established in one or the other as a big deal mm-hmm. because he never he just never had roots that were that firm. Uh, do you kind of agree with that? Do you think that Sid, um, he's sort of someone who when you look at the pantheon of his career, you're like, wow, that guy did a shit ton. Uh, but you never think of Sid in your top 20 even maybe characters of all time, right? I think I, I think one thing that's n- that you can never overemphasize when it comes to uh, professional wrestling, yeah, is that Sid Vicious was always over. Yes, anywhere he went, no matter what quality he was providing, yeah, people always cheered for Sid. Yeah, or people they were always, really do like Sid. Yeah, um, I mean. Unfortunately, every time I think of Sid, I think of his injury that he suffers a few years later. Oh, God, yeah. Um, because I, I watched that on pay-per-view. Well, I think of him saying um, the thing where he said, like, I've got half the brain that you do, mm-hmm. or the time where he asked Jim Ross to, like, start the interview over, and Jim Ross does the, we're live, pal. <laughs> like, I always think of those memorable Sid moments. Yeah. Also, I, I know when I was a kid, I feel like I liked him. I didn't. I wasn't like in love with him. I yeah. liked that he had the psycho music. Yeah. Now that you said you specified you weren't in love with him, I kind of suspect you were in love with Sid. <laughs> That's just you're very specific to point that out. And now I'm 100 percent sure that you were in love with Sid. <laughs> see, I love Sid. I just wasn't in love with Sid. <laughs> I think we should see other wrestlers. Uh, uh, <laughs> His success 
always came at, I felt like at weird times yeah. or when it was like, we don't have like a, a particular guy to put on, on the forefront right now. Sure. We have Sid though. Sid's here. Sid's make, made, been making regular attendances. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and he had the benefit of being uh, tall and big in a time where those were really important yeah. and things. And he, he had a good look to him too. Absolutely. The, um, the sort of Jerry curl blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I Sid, Sid absolutely has a great look. There's no question about that. Yeah. And in, in his prime, like I think, this period right here is kind of his prime. Um, and he does, he does. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that he, he was, he really knew how to play the character. Right. As well. Like you generally, how things kind of fold out during the fall uh, with him and Shawn Michaels, you, you can believe the, the actions of his character. Very right. Well, so I always felt like he played his character very well. He's obviously a, a big a beneficiary of um, maybe some, under-the-counter uh, medications or because he I mean I forgot how huge he is he's massive considering Hunter Helmsley is not a small guy right but he's made to look really small against Sid it's crazy how much bigger he is now uh, Sid also I, I love he's got a one promo that he does but he does it well the whispering and then shouting mm-hmm. alternating between the two. Yeah. That's all he ever does in his promos. It always works for me. Yeah. I always enjoy a Sid promo. Um, so yeah, he's Sid's kind of like a, just a fun buried treasure in wrestling for me, especially in this kind of era mm-hmm. of the new generation. I think, I think his feud with Sean, um, which if, if you want to hear more about that and you haven't already taken me up on it, I know I've, I've sung their praises before, but the new generation project podcast Really does a great job of covering this run of Sid, and they're they're big fans of his work, mm-hmm. and just talk about how surprising it is and how over he is, and and just yeah. sort of go along for the ride with that. And I think it's a lot of fun. I'm starting to feel like that Sid was the kind of guy where it's like, um, how if you if you have like you believe you have really great taste in music, that one pop band that you also really like, but you just really yeah. don't want to admit it, yeah, that, because everything like this last five minutes we keep saying these attributes about Sid that we liked. But don't really want to say that we liked Sid. (laughs) But uh, but it would also be true to say that he was never at any point my favorite. I was never like turning on the show to see what Sid was going to do. It's just I like Sid, um, and he was at the top of the card, so you you feel like you would like him more than you do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would never deny liking Sid, but it certainly would it be false to be like, oh, he's one of my favorite wrestlers. I will say, though, I do not like it when he later on wrestles in jean shorts. Sure. That's always a bad look. That's always a bad look. Sid gets a good pop here, and he's showing a lot of weird charisma as he sort of hop, dances, walks his way to the ring. It's just a weird little way of getting to the ring. Uh, he hasn't yet peaked, but he does, as we mentioned, get really over in 96, 97. I briefly mentioned Kevin Kelly before. Uh, just go over him real quick. He's a former radio disc jockey who has been involved with wrestling for years as a ring announcer and manager who got a job as a B team announcer and backstage interviewer with the WWF a mere three months ago. Hmm. Vince McMahon has been looking to scale back his play by play duties, and this is one of the earliest shows where McMahon doesn't do any commentary at all, as Kelly is joined by good old JR, Jim Ross. Kelly informs us that this match is a first-round match in the aforementioned Intercontinental title tournament. We see some fans in the audience holding a Sid Rules the World sign, 
and it's a couple of super fans that you see all over the shows from this area. And I know we've previously mentioned them on a Nitro that we saw uh, where they had like very deep faked hands and they were wearing like pink tracksuits on that one. Oh, yeah. They're dressed a little more normally, but they're still just bizarre looking people. Yeah. Especially the fact that they live in West Virginia, apparently, <laughs> because that show that they were on before uh, was a Nitro that was at the same, um, uh, the Wheeling west virginia the civic center okay so like this seems to be their haunt i think they yeah. probably get out to other shows as well but god they're weird looking <laughs> <laughs> the bell rings but before the action starts we see some replays of an ongoing storyline where mr perfect who is at this point injured and collecting on a lloyd's of london insurance policy has been coming to ringside and stealing hunter's valets during his matches anyway here to call all the ring for this one is our own valet stealing perfect machine <laughs> Dave Amontorp sweet uh, <clears throat> there's a nice comparison by Kevin Kelly at the beginning of Psycho Sid to Hurricane Fran which ended up killing 27 people and caused <laughs> about 5 billion dollars in damages so I thought that was <laughs> wow and, and here's the thing later on you'll realize this is not the most offensive thing said on this show Anyway, uh, Helmsley starts off the match with a top wrist lock, only to be shoved to the mat by Sid. Hunter quickly rolls out of the ring. Back in the squared circle, Helmsley applies a headlock, only to get whipped into the ropes and dropped with a shoulder block for his efforts. This is the point in which I notice that Sid is monstrous in He's, comparison yeah. to Helmsley. Triple H, it, for those of you who aren't going back and watching this, though, Triple H is much smaller than he will be within right. a few years. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't magically get taller. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I meant in bulk. Like, yeah. if you're if you're picturing 96 Triple H, you've got to subtract, like, 60 pounds of muscle from, like, 1999 Triple H. Right, yeah. I mean, Sid is, like, I think he's, like, a head taller. Than him, oh, sure. Much. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's another whip into the ropes, and Psycho Sid serves up his big boot early, but Hunter eats it anyway. Sid with another whip into the ropes, but his back body drop attempt is countered with a swinging netbreaker. Helmsley then curtsies, much to the dismay of the West Virginia crowd. <laughs> uh, there's a knee drop and a choke as we get a ringside shot of his valet, Kimberly, who, to her credit, is at least paying attention to the action. Yeah, yeah. We get a second knee drop, but this gets an emphatic kick out from Sid. Sid returns to his feet, no sells some punches and gives Hunter a single arm choke slam. While Hunter gets uh, dropped on his head with a power bomb and pinned, Mr. Perfect arrives at ringside in his dad's coat and steals away Kimberly. Because remember, when it comes to women, possession is nine tenths of the law. <laughs> she seems kind of reluctant at first, but he says something in her ear. And yeah. then she's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was like, why don't you come with me? <laughs> I liked uh, before that power bomb at the end. Sid kind of was like asking the crowd, like, "Should I power bomb this guy?" <laughs> right. And they went nuts. They yeah. were like, "Yes, please, please power bomb him, right. Sid." <laughs> uh, as Perfect walks off with Kimberly, he gets near Sid, kind of by the aisle, but he gives Sid a little hand sign of like, "Hey, I come in peace. I'm just stealing this lady over here." Right. So Sid's like, "All right, yeah, fair, fair. fair enough." <laughs> Helmsley is looking angry in the ring as we see some replays. We then go to a pre-taped interview with Ahmed Johnson, who says that he's still not 100%, though he is improving. I'd like to know where this interview was shot, because behind him on the wall, there are some out-of-focus pictures of what appears to be a young lady in various poses. Yeah, it's definitely pinups. <laughs> Johnson's doctor, Dr. Joel A. Hackett, 
is then shown saying that Johnson's kidney is healing, but there still is some bleeding. It was at this very moment that I vanished down a wormhole as I decided to Google the name Dr. Joel Hackett to see if that was a real doctor. Hmm. And hey, what do you know? He sure was. He was a doctor to many wrestlers and was notorious for doling out prescriptions for whatever to whomever. Oh, nice. He was known in WWF circles as Dr. Feelgood, <laughs> and prescriptions with his name on him were found at the scenes of both Brian Pillman and Louis Piccoli's deaths a little ways down the road from our point in the timeline. Dana Hall, the ex-wife of wrestler Scott Hall, said that Hackett routinely sent her husband, quote, boxes of stuff. Yikes. She asked the doctor, quote, do you realize that this man is an alcoholic and he's not supposed to be taking these things? Do you know that he's washing these down with beer? He didn't care. I told him not to send them again or I would report him to the medical association. He gave Scott whatever he asked for. Melanie King, Brian Pillman's widow, said that Hackett provided her late husband with unlimited supplies of drugs. The 35-year-old was found dead in a hotel room near Minneapolis in October 1997. King said that Hackett also supplies drugs to Jim Helwig, the ultimate warrior, with whom she was romantically linked in 1990. Quote, he was like some starstruck guy who forgot all of his medical school for the wrestlers. I can't imagine putting all your heart and soul into that school and blowing it because you want to be friends with some wrestlers. I don't know what was going through that man's head. He would just call in five or six pain pill prescriptions for Brian a week. Yikes. After the deaths of Spicoli and Pillman, the WWF actively worked to make Hackett go away, first by tipping off the DEA and providing info on Hackett, then by supporting the state of Indiana's medical board in their suspension of his medical license. Man, they narked on him? Yeah, they did. <laughs> Yikes. Interestingly, after Hackett's medical license was revoked in 1999, the WWF issued a statement claiming, quote, since 1995, the WWF has made every effort to keep Indianapolis doctor Joel Hackett out of locker rooms, backstage areas, and away from its performers. The WWF, through 1996 and 1997, denied Hackett's repeated requests for complimentary tickets to its events and access to its talent. Hackett was instructed to have no contact with WWF superstars, and talent was requested not to associate with Hackett. So somehow, despite being banned since 1995, mm -hmm. and with the WWF working diligently to keep him away from their wrestlers, Dr. Hackett was allowed in 1996 not only to treat Ahmed Johnson, but to appear on WWF television talking about his treatment of Ahmed Johnson. Huh. It almost seems like they're lying. Wow, something doesn't add up here. I just don't know what it is. In 2001, the feds charged Hackett with 24 counts of making false statements and illegal prescriptions and 24 counts of controlled substance fraud. Hackett passed away in 2006 at the age of 48. Did he also overdose? I could not find a cause of death. I tried to find an obituary and I couldn't find one. Hmm. So, yeah, I just decided to see, like, hey, is that a real doctor or an actor? And then I was like, wow, oh, wow, look at this guy. And then I just kept reading and reading. And then I was like, oh, wow, well, they're definitely lying about the timeline of when they kicked this guy out. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. But at this time, there was no network. No one could, like, go back and check this kind of thing. So it's years before someone like me, who's just a nerd paying attention, mm -hmm. could be like, oh, shit, look at that. Yeah. and here, <laughs> And here my only complaint about him was, like, that after surgery, there was only some bleeding. And I was like, I wondered, is that how it works? Can there still be some bleeding? Yeah, it seems like I, I'm not a kidney. This is going to surprise you, Dave. I'm not a kidney doctor. What? But it seems like any bleeding of your kidney is not good. <laughs> right. But I I mean, 
I know that he's trying to say like he's healing, he's not right, ready yet. Right. But does that mean that there's only some bleeding? According to according to Doctor Feelgood. Right. Yes. <laughs> Doctor Feelgood. A thing a thing Brian Pillman would say often backstage is he'd go like, Oh, I need to call my doctor for some more pills. I just can't hack it. Ah, like that's the level of joke this guy was. His like everybody knew this guy was the guy for pills. Mm. Oh God. Anywho, back to this Ahmed Johnson video package <laughs> and, and the uh, the pinups. <laughs> we see some footage of Farouk attacking Johnson, as Ahmed says that his brush with near death tells him that he is meant to be alive and defending the Intercontinental title because if God doesn't want you somewhere, he has a way of putting you out. One might ask if having a bleeding kidney would be maybe a sign that God wants you out of somewhere. Uh, but I guess Johnson didn't really con- consider that because he is just working to come back as soon as possible. Johnson promises that he will be back. Uh, Johnson promises that he will be back right as I noticed that above his right shoulder was his Slammy Award. So I like that that's on display. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, Stone Cold Steve Austin is on his way to the ring. Now, we mentioned Steve Austin way at the beginning of our podcast as he was released from WCW while out with injury very shortly after Nitro debuted. Austin knocked about ECW, cutting some memorable promos on Eric Bischoff before joining the WWF as the ringmaster, a protege of Ted DiBiase. Soon, Austin asked for a change from the ringmaster name and was provided with a list of names inspired by the Iceman Richard Kikin... The Iceman Richard... Kuklinski, I think is how you say that. A mafia hitman who killed perhaps somewhere north of 200 people. Hmm. The suggested nicknames, Ice Dagger, Fang McFrost, Chili McFreeze, and Otto Von Ruthless, <laughs> were not up to Austin standards. What? <laughs> I would, I wish the greatest wrestler, one of the greatest wrestlers was Otto Von Ruthless. <laughs> and when his wife urged him to drink his tea before it became, quote, stone cold, Austin was able to come up with an alternative that was accepted by the WWF. Stone Cold Steve Austin continued to work with DiBiase until he lost a Caribbean strap match to Savio Vega at the May Beware of Dog pay-per-view, which included a stipulation that an Austin loss would mean that DiBiase had to leave the company. This was their way of writing him uh, out of the WWF. Ah. Shortly thereafter, Austin won the King of the Ring 1996 and gave his famous Austin 316 promo. History suggests that the promo strapped the proverbial rocket to Austin's back, but a few months removed from that show, and Austin really doesn't feel like he's doing anything here but treading water. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not a clear direction. He's he's in this tournament. Uh, spoiler alert, he's not on track to win this tournament. So uh, right now there's not a ton of direction, but he has been dropping some lines and promos recently about Bret Hart. Yeah, to, looking back, it seems like it's like, okay, n- the next thing we want him to do is either wrestle Bret Hart and then Brahart's not available, or Brian Pillman. Right. And Pillman's not available. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, it does seem like they're just waiting for whenever Brett gets back, and then it's like, okay, that's because that's the feud that's going to really get him going. Right. And, you know, I mean, I don't know why they didn't, like, give him something in the short term. But, right. You know, you know, I just, I don't remember how, like, the booking like that back in the day was like, if they really did short-term feuds, or if it was just like, yeah, just, you know, make sure he shows up on Raw every now and then. Right. Um, now, he they do know, as I as I believe, we're recording these out of order, but I believe on the Nitro episode that we did just a couple days ago, uh, we will have talked about 
how uh, Bret Hart is on his way back. He has agreed to terms with the WWF, and he will be returning for this program. So they do at least know they're not having Austin just go out there and drop those lines for no reason. Mm. They do know he's coming back, and they do have a definitive plan for those two to work a program. Okay. Um, just just a side note, because yeah. uh, you mentioned uh, Ahmed Johnson's Slammy Award. Yeah. Um, he, he won that for the new sensation of the squared circle, <laughs> which I which I th- pretty much I think was like a rookie of the year or something like that. It was probably the only year they gave that out, too. They probably <laughs> like gave out similar awards, but it was probably the only time it was called that. Here, Austin is set to square off in the Intercontinental Title Tournament with Mark Marrow, a man that he defeated in the semifinals of the King of the Ring. Hey, that guy looks familiar. Indeed, it's Johnny B. Bad back on our show. Austin comes out, and unlike his stunning Steve or Ringmaster Dave, Ringmaster Dave, <laughs> that's that's my wrestling gimmick. <laughs> Austin comes out, and unlike his stunning Steve or Ringmaster Days, he now supports the iconic look of Stone Cold Shave Head, black trunks, and a black vest. The whole package is there, with the notable exception of a goatee and mustache that I must have completely blacked out. Like. I don't remember him with a mustache yeah. before. That was very weird. Yeah, and I I really like it, by the way. Really? <laughs> I do. I don't, because it's just like, that's not my Stone Cold. That's not right. what he looks like. <laughs> that's not my tea-drinking Steve Austin I mean, that like, I know and love. <laughs> with, with Stunning Steve, it's like, okay, this is a completely different guy. He's got different hair. It's a different character. <clears throat> or even the Ringmaster is like its own thing. But this is like, everything looks the way it should, and then they do a close-up of his face, and you're like, what the fuck? Right. What's going on there? It's also very uh, confusing because he doesn't have any knee braces on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And his neck doesn't look broken. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> As Austin walks to the ring, JR makes a, forgive the wordplay, stunning announcement. <laughs> Back in the ring by the end of the year, Stone Cold is making his way to the ring. You know, Kevin, I've been in this great sport over 20 years, and right here tonight, I am going to break the biggest story of my broadcasting career. Certainly the biggest story of the year in the WWF. This is going to be shocking. We'll have it all right here tonight. He says that later tonight, he is going to share a story that is the biggest discovery he's ever made in his 20-year career covering wrestling. Wow. That sounds really important. (laughs) We then go to commercial, and when we return to the show, Kevin Kelly and JR are joined at the announce table by the ticking time bomb, Brian Pillman, who still has a crutch due to the ankle injury sustained in his horrible car wreck months earlier. He's rocking a pretty sweet tiger face t-shirt, perhaps a nod to his hometown Cincinnati Bengals, or perhaps just a cool shirt. I'd probably go with cool shirt. (laughs) Like JR, Pillman says that he's got a huge announcement to make. As the wild man, Mark Marrow, who we, of course, used to know, as I mentioned, as WCW star Johnny B. Bad, makes his way to the ring, accompanied by his real-life wife, Sable, a.k.a. Rena Marrow, Pillman says that his news has to do with Bret Hart and his future. Pillman notes that he broke into the business in Calgary and was trained in the dungeon by Stu Hart. Pillman says that he has a special bond with Bret, and he will be interviewing the hitman at the upcoming In Your House Mind Games pay-per-view being held on September 22nd. I just wanted to note when when Mark Merrill came out with Sable, Sable is very, wearing a very revealing outfit. Yeah. And and it seems like you can already see a little bit of uh, that ECW influence. Oh, sure. I mean, since we did the ECW episode and there's just every other segment has like some scantily clad woman right. in it. So already you're getting like these little hints that they're like kind of picking up on what ECW is doing. 
The match begins and Miro and Austin lock up, and Miro backs Austin into a corner, then allows him a clean break. They lock up again, and this time Austin backs Miro up, gives him a clean break, but then gets in Miro's face a little bit, so the wild man attacks. The two men exchange hammer locks, and Austin once again gets Miro in a corner, but this time elbows him in the side of the head prior to the break. JR tells Kevin Kelly that Pillman's news is not the story that he was planning to break, so don't worry, there's still a big announcement coming. As Miro gets a sunset flip for two, Pillman mentions that Bret Hart and Owen Hart, who will face the winner of this match in the next round of the tournament, have reconciled their differences that led to their memorable feud of a couple years prior. Miro and Austin have some chemistry and timing issues that don't result in any major botches, but just have a few odd moments throughout this match. After the sunset flip, Austin sits there for a second, then climbs on Miro for a pin that the announcers call a reversal, but there was a solid two to three seconds between each move, and it just looks bad. Yeah. Right after Miro gets a drop kick on Austin, but he oddly hesitates before going for a pin, and it looks like Austin kicks out despite not being covered. Like, Austin's just laying there, Miro doesn't pin him, Austin kicks out of nothing, then Miro lays down. <laughs> it's very weird. Miro then covers him for a two. Austin wisely rolls out of the ring to reset things. You were mentioning as far as the chemistry between Mark Merrow and Steve Austin. Yeah. Um, but I, I did a little bit of research as far as Mark Merrow and seeing who he wrestled, when he wrestled since he got to WWF. And he's faced Steve Austin twice on pay-per-view alone. Um, wow. He, he um, was the person that Steve Austin defeated in the semifinals of the King of the Ring 1996 and then they face the following month at In Your House International Incident. So these these two are not complete strangers in the ring. That's, yeah, wow. And I mean, it, I knew they faced it the King of the Ring. I didn't even think about it, though, how that makes this even stranger, their lack of just timing. Something's just wrong here. I don't know. Right. I mean, and that was the, the thing that I, I thought right away, too, is like, man, these guys... It must be just like they're they're new to the ring with each other, trying to figure each other out. But they've had plenty of time to figure each other out. There's just they just don't click. In fact, once Austin rolls back into the ring, Miro quickly gets him caught in a head scissors. Austin then flips out of it, and he's meant to flip forward and land in a position where they can do that um, that thing where their feet are in opposite directions, and the guy in the bottom holds the guy around the stomach, and then they both bridge up. Oh, yeah. They're, they're meant to do that, but Austin just flips way too far and then has to, like, scoot his body back to do mm -hmm. the bridge. Yeah. So it's just another thing, and that's, hey, you know, it'd be easy to be like, Miro was a flop in WWF, and he sucked, and he just couldn't do it once he made the transition, but, like, that was on Austin, mm -hmm. so it's not just Miro's fucking up this match. Like, there's just something between these two guys is failing to click on, on just every level right now. Yeah, and, I mean, Mark Miro as uh, Johnny Babad showed up a lot of times on our podcast before we've talked a lot about his matches and he's had great matches yeah i was a he's, big fan of johnny yeah, bad i would not say there's anything as far as like he doesn't have the ability to have a good match these are two guys that should have a good match with each other because yeah. they're both really good wrestlers but for some reason they're just i mean i'm now more interested in trying to see these other matches they've had to yeah see and if i wouldn't be surprised now that we're talking about it, i wouldn't be surprised if johnny bad and stunning steve had matches with each other that's that's a good point <laughs> On their feet, Miro hooks their arms and spins around for a backslide attempt and eventually gets Austin down for a two count. Austin goes for a scoop slam, but Miro gets him with an inside cradle for another two. Austin shoves Miro into a corner. Austin shoves Miro into a corner as we head to a commercial break. When we return, there's some running of the ropes until Austin grabs Miro and stun guns him. Austin gets a two count from this. 
He drops a few elbows as the announcers talk about Austin's words for Bret Hart in Hart's absence. Austin goes to the second rope for a big elbow drop, but Miro avoids it and gets to his feet. Austin tries to put his head into the buckle, but Miro reverses. Miro whips Austin in the opposite corner and clotheslines him. Miro hits corner punches, but Austin escapes around six. Miro gets a back body drop and heads the top rope for a double axe handle, which gets a two count. Miro knees Austin to the mat, then looks like he's going to the ropes, but no, he goes back for a pin and gets a two. Austin throws Miro to the floor, and when Mark tries to re-enter the ring, Austin pushes the ref into Miro's path, and the ref goes down. The injured ref bravely manages to call for the bell. (laughs) Austin doesn't realize that the bell is rung, though, and he hits a stunner on Miro. Before the bell rings again, Austin gets to his feet as the Fink announces that Miro is the winner, right as his lifeless body is tossed from the ring by Austin, (laughs) who then poses. So Miro wins and advances in the tournament, but looks like a real friggin' loser. Right. Classic WWF booking. It's <laughs> it's nice to see that very little has changed in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, adding more into the history of Steve Austin yeah. and Johnny B. Bad, uh, they had a pay per view match in WSW at Slambury 1994, wow. a Legends reunion, and that was when Steve Austin was the WSW United States Champion. Is that the one in like St. Louis where they get a bunch of old timers to show up? Uh, nope. This one was in Philadelphia, but I think it's 95 is the one oh, okay. that was in St. Louis. Okay. So, and, and looking back, like they had a bunch of matches in WCW. That's so funny. These guys are not strangers yeah. at the least. They so. just didn't have it tonight, I guess. Miro jumps back in the ring and takes it to Austin and the two brawl a bit until the refs and various WWF officials, including Briscoe and Patterson, who aren't really on-screen characters as of yet, mm-hmm. break it up. We go to commercial with the promise that when we return, we'll get to see the world's strongest man enter the king's court. During the commercial break, we get a foot action Nike Air Munch Slam of the Week. <laughs> is that is that the I think one? I said munch, but I think it's much. Foot <laughs> foot action Nike Air Much? Is that the one with uh, uh, Bill Cower in the commercial? Yes, I believe that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> he keeps getting hit, hit in the head with like a Nerf ball or something like that. <laughs> It's it's like yeah. it's so nineties. It's awesome. Yes. Anyway, it was Sid power bombing Triple H earlier. That is the <laughs> right. foot action Nike Air Much Slam of the week. That's what I remember in WWF. That was like a thing where they would do like the thing of the week was something that was earlier in the show. Oh well, Nitro does that. They've got the one eight hundred collect whatever they call it Slam of the week or something, and it's always just oh weird. It happened in the first segment again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> When we come back, Stars and Stripes Forever is playing, and Mark Henry is smiling and jogging his way to the ring. And here comes the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. And there you see Jerry the King Lawler doing his happy dance. Well, Lawler doesn't respect anybody, but maybe Elvis Presley's memory. You know, this uh, interview could have more shocking revelations than the, the latest on President Clinton's former aide, Dick Morris. A guy that probably has a little bit in common with Jerry the King Lawler when it comes to a lack of character. Oh, yeah. Before we get started here, speaking of the Olympics, I want to ask you something. You know I wrestled Jake the Snake Roberts at SummerSlam, and you know what Jake the Snake at SummerSlam had in common with the Olympics? No. They both got bombed. (laughs) Show a little respect, Lawler, please. And you know 
of that. I want to tell you something. Yeah, you're the strongest man in the world. And yeah, you competed in the Olympics. You represented the United States in weightlifting. But you know what? Now you've signed a contract with the World Wrestling Federation. And you haven't even had one match yet, and you're already making a lot of people mad. You made me mad at SummerSlam, and believe it or not, you even made Jake the Snake mad. Because you see, when I was pouring that bottle of booze down Jake's throat, and you came up from behind and grabbed it out of my hand, Jake wasn't finished drinking it. <laughs> he got real mad. <laughs> and then, you even got in the face of the man they call Vader. What's the matter with you? Are you crazy? I'm not crazy at all. Personally, I don't like you very much. I don't like Vader very much. And there's a lot of others here at the World Wrestling Federation that I don't particularly care for. Oh, is that so? Well, let me tell you something, world's strongest man, Mr. Olympian, and the new member of the World Wrestling Federation. You know what I want to do? I want to challenge you to a match. No, no, wait a minute. You know what? See, because I know you haven't been drinking. No, hold on, hold on. Hold on now. Listen, no, no, listen to me. You don't know anything about wrestling. You don't know a wrist lock from a wrist watch, and I'm challenging you to a wrestling match. Do you understand that? Just like I told you, if you want to fight, bring it on. Ain't nothing but air and opportunity. Hold it. You don't seem to understand. No, you don't seem to understand, big guy. I'm not talking about a street fight. You didn't join the World Street Fighting Federation, you joined the World Wrestling Federation. And I'm challenging you to a wrestling match. You know, and these people know, that I've just recently signed and I haven't had the proper work that I need. Being a professional athlete and an Olympian, I know when it's time for me to lift. And I know when it's time for me to wrestle. And I'm just not ready right now. But. There'll be a day. Well, in other words, you're not ready because you haven't trained enough. You know what? I think you should have won a gold medal at the Olympics. You should have won a gold medal for being the biggest coward there. What? Oh, look at him ball up his fist. I think you're yellow if you want to accept uh Oh. You want to wrestle? Do you want to wrestle? If you want to wrestle, you got it. You understand me? You want to wrestle? It's on. Yeah. Oh. So you're accepting my challenge to a wrestling match, huh? And I tell you what, when I'm done, you don't get one gold medal but kick. All right, I think the king, JR, may have really overstepped his bounds on this one. Well, I don't know. You never underestimate the king. Ben still to come. The heartbreak kid puts his WWF title on the line. As Jerry Lawler stands there somehow doing mocking jumping jacks. <laughs> I don't know why that's what he's doing or how one accomplishes jumping jacks in a mocking fashion, but that's right. clearly what he's going for. Mm -hmm. JR says that Lawler doesn't respect anybody except maybe the memory of Elvis Presley. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd chants USA for the Olympian Henry. So the king starts off with an Olympic themed joke saying that Jake Roberts at SummerSlam and the Atlanta Olympics have something in common. They both got bombed. Duh. A hilarious joke that touches on two hilarious subjects. 
Jake Roberts' near-suicidal history of substance abuse, and the bombing of Centennial Olympic Park by anti-abortion extremist Eric Rudolph that killed two people and injured over a hundred others. Ha ha ha! Hilarious! Delightful! <laughs> it's I can't believe how close this happened to Hogan's bizarre mentions of Waco a few weeks ago. <laughs> like, these are both happening basically, like, uh, concurrently yeah like wrestling just it doesn't matter which product you're watching we're making some tasteless fucking jokes although waco there was at least a few years removed whereas this was yeah. like weeks yeah removed. no shit henry has no reaction to this but to kind of smirk mm-hmm. like he doesn't know what to he's right he's brand new to this uh Mark Henry, it should be noted at the time, he's he's an Olympic guy. They've announced that they've signed him. Mm-hmm. He's not wrestled or anything. So he is like brand spanking new at this point. Right. Yeah. And th- this was because um, at SummerSlam, they announced that he signed a 10-year contract. Right. And they had signed him before the Olympics and actually sponsored him. The Olymp- They paid for like some of his training and all that. Oh, nice. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the better he does and then he joins, the more successful it's going to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Lawler says that Henry may have competed in the Olympics, but now he's signed with the WWF. And despite having never had a match, he's already pissing people off. (laughs) We see a replay of Lawler trying to pour booze down the throat of Roberts during their SummerSlam match and Henry stopping him. (laughs) So I guess when he says pissing people off, he just means me. You're pissing me off. Right. I wanted to pour booze down that alcoholic's throat. (laughs) And you interrupted my fun. We also see a replay from Raw two weeks ago where Henry got in Vader's face. Oh, so I guess he's pissing two people off. Right. <laughs> Henry says he doesn't like Lawler or Vader, and man, he is sweating a lot despite having done nothing. I, I guess he was jogging to the ring, but it still does not explain this much. I sweat. was I was trying to figure out if it was if it if he had like showered beforehand or something like that. I think he it's is, the jog. And the lights. I mean, yeah. it's hard to underestimate how much heat comes off those lights. Yeah, but he is glistening. Lawler challenges Henry to a match, and the crowd pops. Henry says that he just signed, and he hasn't been properly trained yet, but when he's ready, he'll take Jerry on. Lawler says Henry should have been given a gold medal for biggest coward at the Olympics. Oh! Biggest coward is my favorite Olympic event. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm, That's a nice cowardice. (laughs) (laughs) 9.2. I only got the bronze in cowardice. (laughs) The French judge gives everyone a 10 because they love cowardice so much. <laughs> ah, good cowardice. <laughs> wow. We're still in 1996 based on, based on these bits. <laughs> Henry grabs King by the lapel and says that if the king wants to wrestle, it's on. Challenge accepted for some unspecified future date because right. it doesn't happen here tonight. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's mind games. I don't know if it's next week. They don't really tell us. Yeah. We go instead to commercial. When we come back, Mankind is out, accompanied by Paul Bearer. Bearer just took on Mankind when he turned heel on The Undertaker during the Mankind-Undertaker boiler room match at SummerSlam. By the way, I feel like it's worth noting that all these um, tapings are literally the day after SummerSlam. That's crazy. They had this boiler room match, and now he's just out here squashing some loser. Right. Or, Or it's just like they're... Like, Bear's, in theory, been his manager for a few weeks. Oh, sure, but it's yeah. been 24 hours. <laughs> the bell rings, and Mankind goes to work against Alex the Pug Porto, 
who has gotten the jobber entrance because he's a jobber. Right. <laughs> Porto is amongst this movement in 96. It was like a very specific period where they did this, where they added name jobbers to WWF mm-hmm. um, so that you kind of, you sort of felt like you were getting a match between two real guys and not just a guy and a jobber. Uh, so this is when we got like the goon, the stalker, Freddie Joe Floyd, etc. And who? Oh, yeah. yeah I thought you were asking me. <laughs> um and Alex Porto's deal is like his gimmick is just sort of that he was like an amateur wrestler, which I think is true. Mm-hmm. So he's got like the shitty Kurt Angle gimmick. Like right. he's a bad amateur wrestler. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mankind beats down Porto with punches as JR finally makes his startling announcement. JR, was that the scoop you were talking about? Well, no, it's not, Kevin. The, the breaking story we talked about early in the program that I really believe will be the biggest story of the year in the World Wrestling Federation is this. Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the bad guy Razor Ramon are on their way back to the World Wrestling Federation. I have that on very good authority from some very reliable sources. Unbelievable news, JR. What a huge story that would be. Mankind and Alex the Pug Porteau doing battle here in the squared circle. Mankind very aggressive, coming off the ropes, drives Porto down with an elbow. JR, can you repeat that again? I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Well, the, my sources tell me, and they're very reliable sources, I've had them for years, and that is the fact that Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the bad guy Ray Ramon are without a doubt on their way back to the World Wrestling Federation. Wow. Jim Ross claims that Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the bad guy, Razor Ramon, are on their way back to the WWF. What? JR says that he has it on good authority from reliable sources. Kevin Kelly says, that's amazing, and then they just go back to the match. <laughs> yeah, I I was like, his complete underselling of his surprise it, uh, by Kevin Kelly. Yeah. He was like, oh, wow. Anyway, (laughs) it's like before they've even taken the first steps down the path of that storyline, they know it's stupid. They're already everyone's already bailing on it. Right. Like I Kevin Kelly's just like, I can't hype this up or I'll have no credibility when it turns out to be stupid. (laughs) And Jr. is I mean, he's going to be forced to kind of carry through with it. Unfortunately, that's just his role. But uh, we will certainly talk about what that means, because certainly uh Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Razor Ramon are a huge part of our normal coverage. Yes. So they're indeed coming back to WWF. That's going to be a major shift in these Monday Night Wars. Right. I mean, the NWO would break up. Uh, <laughs> it would just be just be Hogan and Ted DiBiase? Yeah. That'd be a bummer. <laughs> oh, man. So, of course, we all know where that's going, but we'll talk about it in a future episode. JR repeats his claim as Mankind chokes the pug with the bottom rope. Mankind tears out some hair as Bearer shrugs with a who me naughty expression on his face. (laughs) JR says that tickets are still available for the upcoming in your house pay-per-view where mankind will challenge HBK for the title. So as I mentioned earlier, there's no pretense that that match is not 100% happening. Right. I I also wanted to mention the fact that like it's, it's around this time that you realize that Paul bearer was born to be a heel. Sure. Yeah. Cause like he's delightful. Yeah. And and even when The Undertaker was a bad guy, like back in the day, um, Paul Bearer didn't really have like a personality. Right. He was just kind of the manager. He shows up. Yeah. But um, now when he, he has kind of made like this heel turn against The Undertaker at SummerSlam, yeah. you realize that he has a lot of personality that he's wanting to like kind of get out. 
Um, you know, I know there's a few times where he does a, I'm Paul Bear and you're not. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, he's he's great. There's been so many phases of him from the earlier cartoon heel version of hosting the funeral parlor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the times where he brings The Undertaker back from like various injuries after like the Royal Rumble where he... Uh, had that casket match with Yokozuna. Right. Just there's been so, and then the iteration we get here where he's a little more, because it's a, becoming a little grittier of a pr- uh, product, he's like a little more serious. It's still a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when he comes back with Kane later on and he doesn't wear the makeup yeah. and he's more of like a fire and brimstone preacher type, mm-hmm. like that's really fun. Uh, he's just a great character, an amazing performer yeah. who was really able to slot in kind of whatever they needed him to be at the time. Yeah, I mean, I I feel, I mean, I don't know if this is maybe going a little bit too far, but uh, as far as complimenting him, but like, I feel like he could be compared pretty easily to like Paul Heyman, um, as far as a, as a guy that can like you could put him in any situation, yeah, and he can sell yeah, it. I know? would agree with that a hundred percent. And because I know at the time I was not a fan of him taking the makeup off. Because, sure. Because it's just like, oh, that's just like you're getting rid of everything that was him. Right. But then it was just like it, like you said, it was basically a new like side of his personality um, and kind of like this really devious kind of character that was doing what he can to turn the brothers against each other and including just like wholeheartedly lying to the Undertaker's yeah. face. And yeah. It's, oh, that is, that part, that is and great stuff. Constantly talking about banging the Undertaker's mom, which right. is not a direction you would have seen this character taking right. in like 1991. Yeah, but it's not, <laughs> it's not like in the 98, like so like, yeah. he's not implying it so obviously. Right. But it's just like, I'm going to keep suggesting this to you and right. I know it's aggravating you. <laughs> Mankind gets a knee to the face in the corner and then a swinging neckbreaker followed by some squealing like a pig. JR drops an interesting note that yesterday there was a meeting at WWF offices between WWF officials and a young man from Pittsburgh named Kurt Angle who just won a gold medal at the Olympics. I I missed that part of the yeah, story. Yeah, it's a true story. He was at uh, the, the offices talking about signing a contract with them. He also, I forget exactly around what period, but he also visits with ecw and famously attends an ecw show that he then flees have you heard that story yeah okay so yeah i think most people have so mm-hmm. but anyway he was yeah he was at wwf offices and i think they're pretty close to actually of course signing that contract i well it's a ways off but no no it is it's still a ways off and, yeah. and it'll be it'll be interesting since if we go back to like wcw and wwf uh as far as their contract negotiations are concerned right I would I'd be interested in finding out why there was a delay as far as WWF is concerned because it's it's still a few years until you see him. Yeah, although I do remember um it was a long time that he was doing dark matches cuz that was by the mm-hmm. time he debuted I was back watching wrestling and I was enough of like a fan by then where I was reading internet stuff. Yeah. And I was reading like every week like, oh, this guy had another dark match like, can't mm-hmm. believe he's still having dark matches. It just <laughs> seemed to go on forever. Mankind catches Porteau with a mandible claw and squeals some more as the pug loses consciousness. Mankind's lovely aftermatch music plays, and Uncle Paul gives him the urn, which Mankind clutches like a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. I love this era of Mankind, this scary, weird Mankind. I love that he needs like the calming music after the match to settle him down. That's so unique. Yeah.
what do you think of the character right now? Yeah, I, re- I really liked it. I, um, I mean, as a big Undertaker fan, I was really kind of like invested in this, sure. in this uh, feud of his, and and I thought that he, Mankind did a really good job considering that like st- stature wise, he doesn't look very intimidating. Yeah, but it, they made him very convincing that he was able to figure out like the Undertaker's weakness or able to take advantage of um, the Undertaker, um, and especially since it's like such a weird character like yeah however they ca- all those pieces came together right it's just un it's just like unfathomable how they came up with that character but um yeah i mean we're obviously in like phase one of what or i mean with paul bear's probably kind of phase two of mankind but uh and also like the name i've always liked yeah, the name it is very good um but uh yeah i mean I, I was yeah I was a fan of mankind I felt like he was one of those like more um, convincing and, and interesting characters that seemed like that they were made for the Undertaker yeah because I mean Undertaker like first 10 years of his career they kept bringing people that were just like characters to fight with the Undertaker that's a, yeah there were a lot of guys that were just an Undertaker opponent and that's it right and but it was like it's Mankind and Kane were the two that were able to kind of grow and become something of their own. And, and obviously, I mean, Mankind, Mick Foley goes on to like accomplish a lot. And that's, and that's because of all the great things he did as Mankind. I mean, we're only scratching the surface right now as far as uh, the highlights of Mankind's concerned. But no, I mean, at the very beginning, I really liked the, the character. I liked the, the whole thing of the, the soothing music. Yeah. At the end, it's just something different. And also a wrestler having a different theme song at the end of the match than the beginning. I mean, who else who else ever did that? Right. I can't I, think I of can't another think of a single person. Um I I felt like his those really early vignettes that they did when he was like in a cell or something like that and he had like rats as pets and stuff. Yeah. That was kind of like it was a little bit goofy, yeah. but um no, I mean, how, however they came up with this character, like, Mick Foley really knew how to embody it. Kevin Kelly asked JR for his thoughts on the Canadian National Expo, the big uh, Canadian version of the State Fair that we talked about back in our August 26th, 1996 Nitro episode. Uh, we actually get video highlights of Sid's tug of war against Angus, the undefeated tug of war elephant. <laughs> You see, Dave, Sid lost, but Sid's friends, the Special Olympians, would not hear of it. Mm -hmm. So they formed a team, and a dozen or so people in Sid pulled a rope and forced a captive elephant to walk backwards a bit. (laughs) Wow, so heartwarming. (laughs) I was pretty uncomfortable with that, to be honest. It just was like, A, the exploitation of the Special Olympians for like WWF PR. The way this poor trained elephant was just like, Okay, now I walk backwards. And then everyone's like, we did it, stupid elephants. Right. <laughs> like, I just hated it. Did not care for it. It's just, I mean, not to go like on a di- totally different tangent, but it's just like, it's so weird how long it took us to realize that like training elephants like that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Elephants should live in elephant like habitats. Right. <laughs> they shouldn't be on the road doing tug of war at, fucking state fairs and shit that's terrible <laughs> and they were all just yeah uh, i don't want to talk about mistreatment of elephants i'm gonna get sad right hey you know what the good thing is it's 2018 and things are better for elephants now 
Let's get back to Shawn Michaels mistreating himself instead. (laughs) We then see WWF stars arriving for an autograph session and some highlights of the big house show that evening, which included a surprise cameo by Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, Looked like a pretty fun time north of the border. Big show. Big show. Big show. Big show. We then very abruptly cut back to the arena where Bob Backlund is in the ring with a microphone. Ladies and gentlemen. Well, we are moments away from the WWF Championship match between Shawn Michaels and Goldust, and Mr. Bob Backlund has appeared on the scene. I have no idea what he's doing out here. Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, you all know that Mr. Backlund's bringing back the man that's going to win the WWF Champion in the near future. But right now, I want to introduce somebody that's going to be his mentor and his trainer. A man that I have a tremendous amount of abomination for. Look it up if you want to know. How about He's a man that, Look that up. Although I have a lot of abomination for, I respect him tremendously. I respect him for what he's done in wrestling as an amateur and as a professional. And without any further ado, I want to bring you the Iron Sheik. What? The Iron Sheik beat Bob Backlund in 1983 for the WWF title. And now they're, they're in cahoots together, apparently. I don't believe this has been an unbelievable night. I thought the Iron Sheik was in a home somewhere. I have learned quite a bit that I didn't know at the beginning of the show, fans. So the Iron Sheik is going to be the trainer of Bob Backlund's new uh, associate that should be debuting soon here in the World Wrestling Federation. And obviously they've got one, one thing on their mind, Kevin, and that is to win the WWF Championship. I wonder what Shawn Michaels thinks of all this. Well, Shawn better keep his mind on gold dust. And not this pair. The Iron Sheik provided Backlund with the most humiliating experience of his career. Welcome back to the WWF, sir! Mr. Bob Backlund, first of all, my pleasure to come from 10,000 miles, oldest country in the world, Tehran, Iran. My pleasure, Mr. Bob Backlund, you was yourself great All-American. College, All-American. Well, you know, the more things change, the, the more they stay the same, Mr. it would seem Bob here. Buckland, six-time WWF six-time champion. I was lucky that night I come champion. And you people remember, I was the real Iranian. I come Olympic in Germany and also United States of America and the greatest wrestling This interview should have been closed action. Well, fans, we've got to take a quick break, and when we come back, I can guarantee you, we are going to see Shawn Michaels defending the WWF title against Goldust. That much I can promise you. Stay with us. He says that he's going to bring back the man who is going to win the WWF championship, as I guess he still thinks it's the 70s. JR starts cracking on him for the extra W, in fact. So mm-hmm. they're just openly making fun of uh, Mr. Backland. Yep. 
Backlund, of course, is the former white meat babyface from the 70s era WWF, who, of course, returned in the early 90s, feuded with Bret Hart, won the WWF title very briefly in order to transition the belt onto Diesel. Uh, he then did some vignettes about running for president last year, but has largely been absent since that angle was dropped. He wasn't the same after he lost that chess match to D- Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> At WrestleMania 11. Uh, yeah, classic. <laughs> Backlund is here not to introduce. He, he So he came back, I think, a week ago and was talking about how he's going to bring back a he's going to introduce a new wrestler. Right. So he's back this week not to introduce that wrestler, but to introduce the man who will be the mentor for that wrestler. Ah, a man who he has a tremendous amount of abomination for. That, of course, makes no sense. And Backlund, for some reason, yells at us to look it up if we want to know what it means. <laughs> right. Uh, it still doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> he then repeats that he has a lot of abomination for this man and that he respects him as an accomplished amateur and professional wrestler. He then introduces the man, the Iron Sheik, Sheiky Baby, who defeated Backlund for the title in 1983 as a means of transitioning the belt onto Hulk Hogan. Uh, he comes out waving the Iranian flag. Hossein Khazrao Ali Vaziri was 54 by this point. He is a former Olympian and Olympic coach in Greco-Roman wrestling, a longtime veteran of the territories, a former WWF champion, and a former manager of a WWF champion, as in his last stint with the company, he managed the traitorous Sergeant Slaughter in his controversial feuds against the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. Though bizarrely, the Sheik was given the name Colonel Mustafa during this period, mm. as if we just wouldn't remember him. He was the guy Hogan beat for the belt. Right. How could we just accept him as a new character like six years later? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> also, I would never have guessed that he's only 54. Yeah, I know. He, he is an old 54. <laughs> uh, he is, of course, probably best known as the guy who seemingly had a big old boner while putting Hulk Hogan in a camel clutch that one time. And you can see it on YouTube if you want. <laughs> just if you just want. do what I do. Go on YouTube and type in big Iron Sheik boners. Boner. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> don't even write Iron Sheik. Just go to YouTube, write Big Boner. Yep. He's in there. Yep. <laughs> 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 he did wrestle a bit uh, during that stint as Colonel Mustafa, but had faded in relevance and left the company in 1992. Since then, he's bopped around in the Indies and Japan a bit before making his return tonight. <laughs> I like the idea of him bopping he's around. just bopping bop, around. Bop, 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 bop. Sheik comes to the ring to great heat from the crowd. Sheik puts over Backlund's past accomplishments and says he was lucky the night that he beat Bob. Sheik rambles a bit, and JR and Kelly just start speaking right over him and then go to break during his promo. <laughs> I t- now, now, it's like, I, I feel like, like, now I'm pretty sure, I don't know if you did or someone else put it on Twitter that it was basically like uh, subtitles couldn't understand what he was saying. Probably. I probably tweeted that. I watched this episode like a few weeks ago. Yeah, but uh, uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he refers to either himself or Backlund as a six-time WWWRG champion. What? It's it's <laughs> it's something where it's because obvi- obviously the gimmick here is that they both think it's still the WWWF. Yeah, but if you're asking, I'm, I don't know that that's a gimmick. I think they're just old, confused men. Oh, true. 
but I mean, even even so, it's just like if you want to give Iron Sheik something confusing to say, it's going to come out even more confusing. Sure, that's um, true. But although I do like the idea that Bob Backlund still thinks it's the WWWF, <laughs> yeah, even though he was a f- just a couple years ago WWF champion. Now, of course, this is leading, and I, I don't mind spoiling stuff for Raw as much. This is leading to the debut of the Sultan, right? And if the Sultan had any chance it's done after this like he's a joke his managers are jokes Mm. his first manager is a joke his second manager is a joke like it's that's over for you might as well just stick a fork in the sultan because that is that's done to me his highlight is having that terrible wrestlemania match with flex cabana yeah or rocky my via by then but that match is awful yes it's very bad (laughs) it's also funny when a guy's so bad at promos that part of his gimmick is that he cut his own tongue out which I believe is part of the Sultan's backstory. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember a lot about the Sultan besides that. Um, he had a terrible rest action figure, I remember. Ooh, I'm intrigued um, by that. Because it, one of those figures where it's like, yeah, he can bend at the hips, but not the knees. Sure. If you want to see that action figure, just go to YouTube and search Big Boners. <laughs> right. <laughs> big Sultan yeah, Boners. We're getting we're getting paid by the bigwigs over at Big Boner Core. <laughs> This is branded content. (laughs) During the commercials, we get a promo letting us know that the new fall season of Raw starts September 21st, whatever the fuck that means. Oh, well, they used to do that. I think they have done that in the last five years, haven't they? Said that there's just a new season of Raw and it's just the same, like nothing. I'm sorry. I'm just remembering that commercial. Yeah. Where, for one thing, he's watching like on a little portable TV. Yeah. Which in '96 was pretty cool. I remember, yeah, I remember those people have those, and they and also really cool. the guy was so excited about the new season yeah. that he died <laughs> because he didn't pull his parachute. I wow, you remember a lot more of it than I do. All I remember <laughs> is that I thought it was dumb that they said new but, fall season. No, so like the guy like is doing like parachute. What what do you even call that? Skydiving. Skydiving. <laughs> I just yeah. had a blank. Yeah. Yeah. So the guy is is skydiving, but he wants to turn tune into Raw while he's skydiving, uh, and he's so busy watching the action. And you see the guy yeah. that, that helps him jump is like pull it, pull it, but that, he doesn't. He didn't. He just goes splat. That sounds familiar now. And it's like, yeah. So you should watch the new season because this guy's dead now. <laughs> Otherwise, he died in vain, Dave. Right. <laughs> his sacrifice is for the greater good. When we come back, Goldust makes his way to the ring. We see the erstwhile Dustin Rhodes on Nitro eventually, so I'm going to save a full bio for him until then. We get an inset promo from The Undertaker, who will be facing Goldust at In Your House Mind Games. Out next is Michael Sean Hinkenbottom, a.k.a. Sean Michaels. I just I love that his real name is that, so I love saying it. Hinkenbottom. With his manager and trainer, Jose Lothario. The pop for Michaels is huge, and he is grabbed by a cadre of girls as he makes his way to the ring. He is he's treated like a you know a teen idol with just women beating down a barricade to just get a hand on him. I I kind of had the feeling that they might have been piping in cheers. That could be. I I kind of wondered if the girls were plants as well, but I don't know that that could all be legitimate. Because for for one thing, the the cheers are constant. Yeah. Until he gets into the ring. And even when at that point, because then you can see the audience yeah. or the crowd, and it does not match up with uh, what the crowd's doing at the time. 
Right, and it is a pre-taped show, so it would be easy to sweeten that audio uh, if they were. And they, they certainly do that at different times in their history, so I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing it here. Right, and when you're talking about like the, the plan, like that, now that I think of it, it did seem like that Shawn Michaels was maybe searching a little bit when he's coming down. To, that, sure. It's something where it would be worth just like watching again to be like, hmm, I wonder... He's bigger than a rock star, gushes Jim Ross, and here to call all of the championship action is our own rock star, Dave Amantor. Well, of course, before we actually get to the match, we have to be reminded that Shawn Michaels has been making some choices that the WWF does not really approve of, one of them being posing for Playgirl. They're which, so mad about it. Here's, right. some, that, here's some pictures of it. Right. <laughs> well, it, it shows, like, the cover, and then it shows, like, like uh photo shoot they're like obviously wwf photo shoots right because he has clothes on for example yeah it's not the one the famous picture where he's laying on his side with the belt like wrapped around his leg hold uh, hiding his dong right and if you want to see that you can go to youtube and search for big boners <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why this is our new gimmick but <laughs> it is i'm i i'm i'm a fan <laughs> um so Goldust tries to sneak attack before the bell, but Shawn Michaels is too quick for him. Twice he tosses Goldust over the top rope so he can continue stripping and prancing around the ring. It should also be noted that his music doesn't even stop either, so yeah. I think Goldust's fate was kind of sealed from the beginning. It should also be noted that in his like weird gray full body suit, or, or gold, you know, full body suit, that Goldust butt looks really gross and weird. It's it, very. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It every time I saw it because he like he always has like a wedgie going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, does he go commando in those things? I don't know if it's the cut of the weird trash bag like material. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's just that kind of color and that material when you're wearing a full body suit. It's just gonna do that, but mm. it really gets in there. Yeah, and it and it's just like it's crazy because in recent years Goldust is in a far better shape. Yes, absolutely. You could you can see that like this bodysuit is kind of hiding right like cuz I know I'm pretty sure he had like addiction issues and stuff like that. I'm Oh, he uh, yeah, I don't know about at this point. Certainly later in his career, mm. he it's pretty bad. Um but yeah, I don't know about right now. That's a good question. The bell rings and Sean catches Goldust with some rights while they're both on the outside then throws him back into the ring because there's nothing I love more than a wrestling match starting with people outside the ring. Right. I mean, aren't they supposed to be in the ring in order to ring the bell? Technically, yes. Okay. We've, this would not be the first time on our podcast we've seen that rule ignored. Right. And, and now it's just like, oh, it affects both the promotions. Right. Great. Michaels tries for a top rope double axe handle, but Goldust catches him with a punch to the gut. We get some back and forth until HBK has his challenger in the corner for a 10 punch, only he stops at five and does a backflip before getting in a hip toss. It looked pretty cool. It looked pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I wanted to note that the ropes are as loose as hell. Yeah. I and, noticed that too. And it's really weird because Goldust is considerably taller than Shawn Michaels, and he's kind of too tall for the ropes. Every time he goes into the ropes, you can see he kind of has to crouch a little bit sure. to make sure he hits them right. And it's just, he looks like he's playing in like a child's ring, basically. <laughs> uh, another Irish whip gives us Goldust's signature drop-down uppercut, uh, followed by a stiff clothesline. 
A whip into the turnbuckles sends HBK over the top rope into the arena floor, which I should remind you is not a disqualification in the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> or most of the time in WCW. <laughs> or most of the time, right. Uh, Michael spends a considerable amount of time at ringside, including a moment where Goldust holds him so Marlena can blow smoke in his face. Gross. And Jim Ross is correct in saying that's more annoying than damaging. <laughs> Even though Sean kind of tries to sell it, yeah. but it's just, yeah. Maybe if so it much. were like a, a fighting game, he'd lose like 1% overall health, but he would like be stunned. You right. know what I mean? Like it would just have the effect of like, ah, and then maybe the other guy punches you. Right. <laughs> uh, Goldust suplexes HBK back into the ring for a two count as we head to a commercial break. When we return for commercial, Goldust is still in control, slapping in a headlock. While uh, Goldust maintains control, we get a split screen of Mankind, who's singing HPK's theme song, which is awesome, as he promises a surprise for the WWF champion. It appears Mankind is waiting for something or someone backstage, but nothing materializes. Also, the camera seems to linger on Mankind like a few seconds too long. Yeah. So he kind of tries to add like some ad-libs in there while yeah. waiting for it. <laughs> um, as we return to his single screen, Michaels tries to rally, but both competitors drop each other with a double clothesline. Back on their feet, Goldust tries to maintain his advantage, but an Irish whip is turned into a flying forearm as Michaels begins his five moves of doom sequence. Which, for the record, the five moves of doom for Shawn Michaels are inverted atomic drop, flying forearm, scoop slam, elbow drop from the top rope, and super kick. Yep. However, after the scoop slam, Goldust gets up before the flying elbow drop. Oh, so, no. So, my. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, Shawn goes for a cross body instead. Goldust rolls this over for a cover for himself and nearly gets a three. We then abruptly go to a commercial. There's. Yeah, I don't think the announcers are ready or if it's just edited weird, but they don't announce it. After an ad for In Your House Mind Games, in which we're reminded that Shawn Michaels is defending the title <laughs> against Mankind, we return to Michaels hitting the flying elbow drop. He then sets up for the super kick, but Marlena distracts him and referee Earl Hebner. This gives Goldust opportunity to get in a sucker punch. He then uh, whips uh, HBK Stern refers into the corner and gets it and gets him set up for the curtain call. But Michaels is able to flip through it. HBK then hits a top rope moonsault for the pinfall victory. A really weird one because he kind of uh, kind of lazily covers him. Right. And Goldust just has to kind of lay there and get pinned. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought I thought this was a pretty decent match. I think there's. It seemed I don't know. It just seemed like that uh, that Goldust was a little bit wrestling all of his element a lot. Sure. Um, it was, yeah, it was fine. I it thought was, it was, yeah, it was fine. Um, it certainly didn't come across like a big championship match. Right. It just felt like a raw match. Mm -hmm. Immediately after the match, mankind comes running from the back and hops a rail. He revives gold dust and they run for Michaels who dodges them and leaves the floor. Bear gets in the ring and Michaels is held off by Earl Hebner and Jose Lothario. We close in a shot of a very satisfied Paul Bearer and Mankind. So what's his surprise? Gold dust? Who's surprise? Mankind's surprise. I don't know. Because <laughs> when, when they were backstage, yeah. he said he had a surprise for him. Yeah, I think it was just that he was going to attack him. I think he was oh. his own surprise. Okay. His surprise was, here I am punching you. <laughs> <laughs> surprise! <laughs> yeah, Sean is made ridiculously strong here. He... 
beats the uh he beats Goldust clean. Mm-hmm. Goldust is supposed to have a match against the Undertaker. Like I know how that one's gonna turn out. Oh, that's right. They did a split screen during this with Undertaker yep. doing a promo. So it's like, oh, he's got an important match against Undertaker. Yep. So he should probably look good in oh. So then his next opponent shows up and now it's two on one and Michaels just escapes. He doesn't even like sell for a second for mankind. I mm-hmm. feel like getting beat down by mankind would kind of help. Right. Uh, mankind has not had a a championship match i don't believe to this point uh so it just seems like why wouldn't you help establish him as like a credible threat to your championship mm-hmm. but they don't really bother with any of that michaels just looks great right <laughs> in our ratings roundup this episode of raw got a 1.8 airing on a friday dave Meltzer reported or perhaps just speculated that this show was an experiment to see if Fridays would be feasible as a new permanent home for Raw to get away from Nitro. Uh, If there was any truth to that speculation, this low rating probably killed that idea off. But it's it's not that Dave reports that they are considering it. Just the way he phrased it, I couldn't really be sure if he was saying it was under Mm -hmm. consideration or if he was just... Like I wonder if they're doing this, right? Um, so because I fe- I feel like a year in Vince really would not give up that easily. Yeah, it would. Yeah, I could. Who knows? I I doubt that it was what they're doing. I think they just didn't want to give up a week of storyline um, heading to a pay per view mm-hmm. because you think in past years before the in your house was really a thing, it wasn't as big a deal to take a couple weeks off if they got preempted by the Westminster Dog Show or whatever. Right. But now that they've got a monthly pay-per-view, like you want to be telling weekly stories on television to build those feuds, to sell those pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of makes more sense why they would just put on an, an episode on a different night. Uh, so we don't really have news because we already covered that back on our Nitro episode this week. So that really just brings us to one last thing, and that is Match the Night and MVP. Dave, what was your match of the night? Uh, Well, instead of a match, I'm going to go with a segment. Sure, yeah. I always forget that we can do segment. (laughs) And I'm going to go with uh, the Iron Cheeks promo. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Because it was to it made it made me laugh, which is like that's what Iron Cheek does. Yeah. And I and I I think for the fact that we don't really see a lot of this like uh, um, announcers just like disliking wrestlers. Yeah, it's not as common at this point. Sure, but the fact that they're just like, okay, let's just kind of go to commercial while he's still talking. <laughs> <laughs> did, that that just made me laugh, and so I have to give that as my segment of the night. It's funny too because this is pre-taped, and it was probably not intended to be done that way. But they just watched the promo and were like, "Oh, we can't hear this." <laughs> like, right. okay, we'll just cut it off here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give my segment of the night or match of the night. I'm going to give it to Michaels and Goldust, kind of slim pickings here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I went with. Now, for my MVP, I was tempted to give it to Dr. Joel Hackett uh, <laughs> because he was he was banned from backstage. He was banned from events. And he was banned from speaking to talent. Mm-hmm. And yet here he was in their flagship show talking about their talent while their cameras filled him. Uh, but instead, I'm going to give my MVP to Angus, the undefeated tug-of-war elephant. <laughs> for dealing with that bullshit with the quiet grace and dignity that only an elephant can. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to give my MVP to Psycho Sid for not only dropping Triple H right on his head, but also (laughs) defeating said elephant in the definitely a win that counts. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) All right. Well, remember that we will be back tomorrow to talk about uh, Nitro's 
one year anniversary and all the things that we liked and didn't like uh, over the past 365 days of Nitro, even though it's uh, taken us probably four times <laughs> that long to cover it. All right. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you know, the point is we're covering it well, right? It's quality over quantity. Right? Yeah. Well, no, it's the same quantity. It's quality over timeliness, mm. I guess. I like mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see you back here tomorrow where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Perhaps the biggest hit of the day was Psycho Sid. I think one of the most poignant moments of the entire weekend came when Psycho Sid, with the encouragement of his newfound friends, the Special Olympians, volunteered to compete in a tug of war against Angus the undefeated elephant. Well, Psycho Sid, even though he's 6'9 and 313 pounds, giving away a little weight here was no match for the elephant. But Sid's pals, the Special Olympians, wouldn't hear of Sid losing. They wanted their hero to compete one more time, and so a team was formed in more ways than one. And Psycho Sid and his Special Olympic teammates were victorious. What an inspirational moment for Psycho Sid for all the Special Olympic athletes and for each and every one of us who had the privilege to witness this very special moment.